0: My name is uh, Pablo Paredes, and I am your local missions pastor at the Dalton campus. a privilege to to be serving there. And there was a point in my life where my dad was really absent. But by God's grace, um, he decided to go to seminary and get theological education. I really was doubting if this following after Jesus or being like him was worth it. We had no food for the next week, and and he said, hey, let's just gather together. It was my two sisters, my mom, my daddy, and and he said, we're going to pray for food. Uh, And at that point, I was thinking, food is not going to drop from the sky. Uh, But he said, we follow follow Christ, and he's going to provide. So we prayed, and then the next morning, I remember just seeing Walmart trucks just coming into our seminary to give us free food. And at that point, I started to say, you know what, maybe this maybe this Jesus thing, maybe following after him, is, maybe it's real, maybe he does provide. When I think of that, I also think of the community. Jesus was not a loner who just went out and preached and did things on his own. He needed a community and he was part of a community which was with 12 disciples. And when I think of that, I think of also me needing a community People around me that can encourage me because during the week I do get discouraged and sometimes I have doubts about my faith so when people come around me they support me they open up the Bible and they tell me uh, what I need to do to follow Jesus so I encourage you to be with Jesus in order to live like Jesus
1: Hey, my name is Matt, one of the pastors on our team. I am fired up just to be here and fired up to welcome you wherever you have gathered together uh, at any of our six locations here in uh, J- Northwest Georgia and the Greater Chattanooga region of Tennessee. Thank you, thank you, thank you uh, for being here uh, for this series as we kick off, as we move into uh, part two of uh, of Be Like Jesus. And my small group kicked off the other night. Man, we had a fantastic time just sharing uh, where we are in our journey and, and praying that God would uh, would move us forward so, uh, just in case you missed last week, and you always catch those online, they post sometimes Sunday afternoon at our website, rockbridge.cc, but, but one of the things we talked about last week is growing up, we always, you know, every one of us wanted to be like somebody. Maybe it was our dad, maybe it was Superman, uh, in my case it was Nature Boy Ric Flair, the professional wrestler, 16-time world champion, right? Uh, so, um, we always wanted to be like somebody, and, and, we, and we thought, you know, we said, hey, what if that's indicative of a greater journey and a greater desire that maybe, maybe maybe God put wired sort of into us, like we all have a desire to be happy, we have a desire to have peace, we have a desire to have purpose, that maybe God wired this desire to be like someone to point us to our ultimate purpose, and, and, and we discovered last week that that's it. Our ultimate purpose is that we would be like Jesus, and that one of the things when we become a Christ follower is we see who Christ is, and we're like, that's it. That's the one I'm to aim my life at. That's the one that's supposed to shape my life so I would live as he did. And that means if Jesus had your kids, how would he raise them? If Jesus had your money, how would he spend it? If Jesus had your time, how would he invest it? If Jesus had your job, how would he work at it? If Jesus had your marriage, how would he uh, operate inside that marriage? And and if Jesus lived in your neighborhood, how would he do that? And so that's the journey that we're on. And that, you know, so that makes Christianity way more than uh, about a place to go when you die. It's really how you live right here and right now. And and we're inviting ourselves into that journey. Now, uh, along with that, let me just share kind of what, what I think are two huge questions that frame up this, uh, this be like Jesus journey. And, and you heard these, you heard a little bit of these questions in Pablo's story. Uh, Pablo's family was without food for a while. And, and Pablo was at, your Dad said, hey, let's, uh, let's pray because God's going to provide. And, and Pablo expressed doubt. It's okay to express doubt because doubt can lead us to truth, but here's the two big sources of doubt that a lot of us have, and, and we'll discover why this is important to overcome on our journey. The two questions we sometimes ask about God, and they have these huge implications, which we'll clarify. The first one, man, is just, is God able? Does God have the ability to put food on the table? Does God have the ability to, uh, to save, to deliver, to help? Does God have the ability to do things that, that we think he needs to do or that we know we need to have done and we can't do them? And, and, and so we ask that question, is God able? And, and listen, I, I think at some point when you, when you sort of reckon and understand uh, if there is a God and he created the heavens and earth and once you see how powerful nature is and how amazing creation is, you're like, okay, God is able to do stuff. And really probably the bigger question that we have is, okay, if he's able, is he willing to? Is God willing to help me? in my deal, my life, my situation. And, and, and listen, a lot of people walk away from God here because they're like, man, if, if there is a God, and by definition, if there is a God, He's able. But God just doesn't seem really willing to help. God doesn't really seem willing to intervene. God doesn't seem willing to, to do what maybe I think He should do or what I think I need to be done. So is God able to put food on the table? Is is God willing to put food on the table for people who would trust Him? Now, here's why this is so critical and why I mean it just has you implications on our Be Like Jesus journey. Whenever we have a lack of ability or willingness, it puts a limit on the relationship. Whenever we have a lack of ability or, or a lack of willingness, a relationship is limited. We begin to draw lines. Like in your relationships with your friends or with your boss, or your coworkers. There, there's, for better or for worse, you're going to say, there's just certain things I'm not willing to do with you or I'm not willing to do for you And and wherever you draw that line, there's a limit in the relationship, correct? And same thing with ability. If someone doesn't have the, if your doctor doesn't have the ability, then you may end your relationship with that one and go to a specialist or go to another doctor. And, And so if we think that God does not have the ability to help me, it will limit our relationship with God and we just will put some barriers around it. If we think God does not have the willingness to get involved, the willingness to engage, the willingness to help, then we start, having, we start living like this. Well, God, if you're not willing to, I've got to do something. And we put our trust in ourselves, in money, in, in, in something else, right? And so wherever we draw the lines or think the lines are drawn, we put a limit on the relationship that we have with God. So we probably all walked in here and knowingly or unknowingly, we, we, we're really questioning where, where maybe God's not willing, maybe God is willing, and, and where we draw that line limits something very important on our journey. And we're going to see how important it is as we turn to Luke chapter 5. If you were here last week... We're journeying through the the Galilean ministry of Jesus. That's Luke 5, or excuse me, Luke 4 through Luke chapter uh, 9. And so we're in Luke chapter 5, and we're going to see all of this come to a head and come to fruition and why it's important for us in our Be Like Jesus journey. So in Luke chapter 5, Jesus teaches from a boat, and then he encounters some fishermen who had failed to catch a single fish after fishing all night. And so he turns his attention from this large crowd to focus in on Simon, uh, who becomes Peter, and a couple of fellows. So let's, uh, let's join Jesus' story here. He, Jesus, said to Simon, put, in, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. So Jesus starts telling fishermen how to fish. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. Now this story just simply illustrates this. God, Jesus is God, God has the ability There is no question that God has power over creation, that God has the ability. So now look what, when when Peter resolved that question, okay, God has the ability to do whatever God wants to do or thinks ought to be done. So here's what Peter does when this happens, and and it's it's really crazy, but he goes from ability to willingness, and here's what he does. When Simon Peter saw this, saw the great catch of fish, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me because I'm a sinful man, Lord. So, so Peter realizes he is in the presence of the other, the holy. He's in the presence of God, and he knows he's, he's messed up. He knows he's not perfect. He knows he's anything but holy, and, and, and we all know that, right? We all know there's some things that just don't mix. You don't want germs in the operating room when the surgeon cuts open your body, You know, we all know, like, if we're dealing with a pregnant woman, we want to protect her and the baby, right? We just know that certain things don't mix and match. And Peter's like, I cannot be in your presence because I am a sinful man. And what is his perception? What is he believing is true? It's probably something you've believed and I've believed is true. God is unwilling to associate with sinners like me. God is unwilling to associate with with sinners like me. Now, listen, this shows up in your life in a thousand different ways. It's why some people believe that my prayers as a pastor count more than your prayers. Because you're like, well, Matt's holier or Matt's better, right? You, you, some of you believed it. It's why some of you won't pray. It's why some of your friends won't come to church. Because I think God, I, I don't think God wants anything to do with me. It's why when we, when we would stand up and say, hey, we'd love for you to serve in a ministry, be a bridge builder with us, serve on a ministry team with us, some of you immediately disqualify yourself because you think God would be unwilling to use someone like me. And, and so wherever you draw that limit, right? Wherever you have, a, where you limit God's willingness, you limit your relationship with him. You don't step out further. You don't walk further. You don't give Jesus the steering wheel of your life. Because, hey, God, after all, is unwilling to associate with sinners like me. That's what Peter believes. Now, what, what does Jesus do into that? I mean, Jesus knows he's not, he's not perfect. Jesus knows he's a sinner. And, and you would think, well, maybe Jesus is going to say, all right, here's the 15 things to take care of you in your life, and then we're going to talk. Instead, Jesus says, don't be afraid. Wow. Just don't be afraid. Don't let your fears drive you from me. Because, you know, you, know, you know, fear can be based on a lie, right? I mean, how many of your kids believed in the boogeyman or saw a scary movie and couldn't sleep that night, and it was a fictional movie? Fear can, if you believe a lie, it can cause false fear, And you just start acting like it's true, and you just start limiting. Well, Jesus doesn't want to be with me. I'm afraid to be in God's presence because, you know, I'm unholy. He's holy. But this is what he says, from now on. And he says now. And that's you, Peter, as you are. You, Peter, as a sinful man, from now on. I'm with you in your sins. From now on, you will be catching people. I'm going to use you, Peter. Then they brought the boats to land and left everything and followed him. So, so the limits of ability and willingness have been erased, and so the relationship moves forward, and they're going to live, these fishermen are going to live in proximity with Jesus, in intimacy with Jesus, in relationship with Jesus from that day forward. And here's the truth. God wants us with him. God wants us with him. Such a powerful truth. Now, last week, we introduced you to, to how, how change happens. How does life change happen? How am I going to go from who I am now to who God wants me to be? How am I going to go, gonna go from who I am to my, to my best self? And, and, and we said it's three things. It's the truth we believe in our head. It's the values and affections that rule our hearts. And then it's the choices and decisions or what comes out of our hands. What, what do I decide and where do I go? So, so look what's happened. Peter in his head thought, God is unwilling to associate with me. And so there was a block. And so he drew a line and said, go away from me, God. See, if you believe God doesn't want to be with you, then guess what? You run from God, you hide from God, or you rebel against God. That's what you do. If you believe God's not interested in you because you're not holy enough, good enough, smart enough, haven't been to church enough, you know, messed up too much, then you just start putting limits because you suddenly assume in your head, hey, God is unwilling to associate with me. And what happened? Jesus said, invited him out of his unbelief, didn't he? He said, no, 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 don't be afraid, don't let fear rule your heart from now on. You are going to go and live on purpose. You're going to decide to follow me, and you're going to catch and influence people. So Peter believed the truth. Peter treasured the opportunity to be with Jesus. He treasured it more than he treasured his fishing boat, his fishing business, and his fishing career. So his values realign, and he says, I'll follow Jesus, and Jesus is going to train him to be a disciple. He becomes one of the first apostles, one of the pastors of the church. All because what? Truth entered his mind, values changed in his heart, and it showed up in his life. So let me stop for just a second. One of the most important things I can ask you, one of the most important things you can answer in any any period of your journey is this question. What do you think comes to mind when God thinks about you? When God thinks about you, say your name. When God thinks about you, right, what do you think comes to mind? Such an important question. Now, now look, I've, I've lived here long enough. And I've asked this question enough times, and here's what I think we sometimes think. I think when we think, when God thinks of Matt Evans, I think God thinks of do, don't, and done. Matt, you need to do this. Matt, you don't need to do that anymore. Matt, what have you done? Now, now when we think that way, we suddenly start doing what Peter did. and We say, well, God must be unwilling to draw near to me because of what I do what I don't do, and what I have done. And so we say, okay, God, just just keep your distance. I'll come to church most of the time, but that's it. I'll I'll pray before meals, but but that's it, because I don't really think you really want to be with me. So what do you think comes to mind when God thinks about you? I think this story, and I think the story of the Bible teaches us it's not do, don't, and done. It's with I want to be with you, Peter. Don't be afraid. I want to be with you, Matt. Don't be afraid. I want to be with you and you and you. Don't be afraid. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I don't do. And you don't. Yeah, I do. And I still want to be with you. And you know why this is so important? Because being with comes before or precedes becoming like. You can't be like Jesus unless you are with Jesus. See, you know what religion does? Religion says, be, like, be somebody, be spiritual, and then God will draw near. Jesus reverses that. He says, be with me, and I'll help you become like you were created and destined to become. See the difference? You see the difference, Right? Jesus brings us into relationships, and those, that relationship becomes transformational. He doesn't say, change, and then you can hang out with me. He says, hang out with me, and as you hang out with me, you're going to change. So if you put a limit on Jesus' willingness or Jesus' uh, ability, you put a limit on relationship. You put a limit on relationship. You put a limit on your ability to transform, be like Jesus, and become the best version of yourself. All right, another story. These all illustrate the same same basic principle. So Jesus is going to. He's still in Galilee, so he's in one of the towns there, and there was a man who had leprosy all over him. Now, if you were a leper, the, the laws of the day said you had to stay away from everybody. You kind of lived in constant quarantine. If you came near somebody, you had to shout, unclean, 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 because they just thought, thought it was so contagious. And it was, in, in the Old Testament, it was sort of symbolic of on the outside of what went on on the inside. We're just not, we're not holy. We're not clean, okay? So he sees Jesus. And he falls face down in humility and worship, and he begs him. He says, Lord, and here's the question, right? If you are willing, you can make me clean. So he's not doubting God's ability. He's questioning, is God willing? And isn't that where some of us are today? Like, God, are you willing to do something about my deal? Are you willing to take me to change me? Are you willing to help me become the man, the woman, the person, the kiddo that I'm supposed to become? If you're willing, you can. You're, you, I know you have the ability. Would you make me clean? So, so this leper tells us something about thinking. And his thinking is so powerful. He says, look, if Jesus' willingness matches his ability, then I can have humble hope. Humble because it doesn't depend upon me. I'm not bragging. I'm dependent upon Jesus. I'm depending upon his willingness and his ability. I'm depending depending upon his competence and his character. And yet he's gutsy with it. He's a leper. A religious person, a religious teacher in Jesus's day, guess what? They would not draw near to a leper. Because they're unclean. And if you touched a leper, you became unclean. So it was like, no touch. Don't get near. Don't get near lepers. Don't get near the unclean. And this leper says, you know what, though? I'm going to take a bet. I'm going to have some guts here. I'm going to bank everything that this guy, this Jesus, I've heard the rumors. I'm going to bet that he's willing. And I'm going to hope that he's able. And and I'm going to just lay every card on the table that Jesus is the one I need to trust. And look what Jesus does. Does he do what most teachers of religion did during that day? Get away. You're unclean. I don't want anything to do with you. No, no, no. He reaches out his hand. This is scandalous in his day. Jesus touched him, the leper, saying, I am willing. I am willing. Be made clean. And immediately, because Jesus has the willingness and the ability... And immediately the leprosy left him. And then he ordered him, he said, tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priests. This is what the law of Moses required. And offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Go show them what happened. Go show them what went on. And now we start to get a bigger picture of when God draws near to us and we understand his willingness and his ability and and when there's no limits on God's ability and no limits on his willingness and we accept that and we put our confidence in that and we have humble, gutsy hope to bank everything upon that, then we see this, that God draws near to be with us so he can start to do something for us. It's not we got to do something for God, and when we do something for God, then God will then be with us. It's no, we draw, God draws near to us, we draw near to him, and God begins to change us and do something for us. In this case, he cleans a guy who's been declared unclean most of his adult life. So, As we're saying, God, we're on this journey to become someone. All of us are on that journey. It's the most important question of our life. Who am I becoming? We see in Christ who we're made to reflect. We see in Christ who we're supposed to model our lives after. We see in Christ the one that needs to replace Superman, that needs to replace People Magazine, that needs to replace, you know, the great athlete or the great business person that we're all emulating or seeking to be like. We see in Christ, oh, that's the one I'm created to reflect. That's the one I'm created to be like. That's the one who needs I need to take cues from in my marriage that's the one I need to uh, under be mentored and apprenticed and a student of for how to be a business person or how to be a dad or how to be a mom that's the one well for him to do that for us we have to be with proximity he has to touch us story continues we're still in Galilee he was teaching. There were some Pharisees, teachers of the law, were sitting there. And they had come from every village of Galilee and Judea. And also from Jerusalem. And the Lord's power to heal was in Jesus. Just then some men came carrying on a stretcher, a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before Jesus. But since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof, lowered him on the stretcher, through the roof tiles, into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Now, now why do you do that? Why do friends do that? Why do these friends do that? Because they realize something. They realize that being with Jesus is always best. The pre- being in the presence of Jesus is the best thing that could ever happen to any of us. It's the best thing that happened to me. And, and, and again, you see all of these things start to line up, right? If I believe in my head... The best thing I can do for you, the best thing that can ever happen to me is I can be with Jesus. And I value that so much in my heart that I am willing to sacrifice. In their case, what do they sacrifice? They risk. In their case, they damaged another man's roof. They did what because they so believed the truth that the best thing they could do is be get their friend to Jesus, and they were willing. And they valued that so much they were willing to pay any price and take great risks to get their friend as close to Jesus as they could. And then Jesus sees all this happening, and look what Luke describes what he saw: seeing their faith. See, faith to Jesus is when all of these things align. Faith is not, I believe in my head, but it never shows up in my life. In fact, if what you believe in your head is not showing up out of your hands or out of your life, you're choosing, you're deciding, you're living, you don't really believe it. Belief always shows up in behavior. And so what Jesus says, he says, I see some people who believe in their head, that I have the ability, and I have the willingness. I, I see people who, in their their affections, their desires, their values, are so strong they they are willing to value getting their friend to me over any other thing they could do for their friend and it shows up in their behavior and so Jesus sees all of these things in alignment and when these things are in alignment and we have that kind of faith it activates God's power and it releases the ability and willingness of Jesus to intervene and interfere and transform our lives and so look what Jesus says though this is kind of crazy he says friend and I want to be with you and he doesn't heal him immediately he says your sins are forgiven No, 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 Jesus, no, 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 no. He can't walk, and Jesus like, yeah, 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 yeah. But, 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 um. But we've gotta, we gotta deal with what's in you. More than what's going on in your body, we gotta deal with what's inside of the heart, inside of your brain. We gotta deal with that. So he says, friend, your, friends, your sins are forgiven. And, and so what we have to see in all that is, listen, when we think about God's being compassionate and God's being loving, we always want to judge God's compassion and God's love by what he does to us or around us. You know, God, make my day better. God, make my marriage better. God, heal my paralyzed legs. That, that would be the best thing you could do for me. But what we see here is we have to measure God's compassion by his willingness to deal with sin, by his willingness to get into our mess, that our greatest problem, our greatest problem is not that we might be paralyzed physically. Our greatest problem is that we're dead spiritually unless Jesus touches us and deals with our sin. So, so see, listen, sometimes the worst thing Jesus could do is change our circumstances without changing our heart. Because you take a bad heart and put it in perfect circumstances, you know what will happen? Those circumstances will become a reflection of the heart. You take a Jesus-like heart and put it in a dark place, you know what will happen? Light will come into darkness. So Jesus invades our dark heart, our rebellious heart, our heart that says, I don't want to be with you, God. I want to do it my way. Jesus enters that heart, forgives that heart, and cleanses that heart like he cleansed the outer leprosy of the leper. And his compassion has to be measured by his willingness to deal with sin. You see his willingness to deal with sin because he says, I want to be with sinners. Not only does he want to be with sinners, Paul takes it another step and shows you how compassionate Jesus is towards sinners. Listen to what Paul says. God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. So not only is Jesus willing to be with sinners, not only is Jesus willing to touch sinners, Jesus is willing to become sin for sinners. He became sin. He took my sin onto himself, your sin onto himself. It's like I have an infectious disease running through my body, and they hook up tubes into my veins and pull all of my, all that disease out of me and they just put it into Jesus. And Jesus dies to kill it and comes back to life to say, you're cured, you're healed, you're cleansed. Let's do life together. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, for me, so that in him we might become, remember, God wants us to become the righteousness of God. So the best God can do for me happens in me. The best God can do for me is going to be something in me. And that's what we see in in, in this story, what we see from this leper. So so I just want to stop and and just share this with you. Have you ever let Jesus have that kind of access into your heart? stripped away religion, <coughs> stripped everything away, and said, Jesus, have your way in me. Jesus, I need you to cleanse inside of me. So, so how, what does that look like? Uh, the easiest way I know to explain it, explain the good news of the gospel, is to use this word base. That, Hey, I, 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 wanna, I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. He's the son of God, that he died in my place. He died my death. He died instead of me. And he rose again in a resurrection three days later, came back to life. Demonstrating his victory and his ability and his power to deal with death, to deal with sin. But I have to accept that gift. It's unearned, it's undeserved. I have to accept unearned, undeserved forgiveness. Unearned, undeserved forgiveness. And then I switch and I make Jesus the new Lord. Sex is not my Lord. Drugs are not my Lord. I am not my Lord. My career is not my Lord. My kids and other people are not my Lord. Jesus is my Lord. And I'm going to live a new life becoming more like him. Because I was created to be like Jesus. And then we express all of that through baptism, which, is, which articulates and illustrates these things. And we move our lives in a new direction. If today is the day you need to give Jesus the steering wheel of your life, is today the day you need to have your sins forgiven and the rest of your eternal life begin, today is the day you need to say something like this, Hey, Jesus, I'm saying yes to you. I believe you. I accept your gift. I'm going to make you the Lord of my life. I want to live every day becoming more like you. There's like blue cards in front of you or under your seat. You can take one of those cards and just let us know. You made that, choice, that decision. You have, you've said, hey, I know how willing Jesus is to save guys like me, ladies like me. And I, and I know he has the ability to do it because he rose from the dead. And just give Jesus the steering wheel of your life. And then we move forward as students of his, right? Last story we get in Luke 5, that deals with another sinner. After this, after what? After he healed the leper, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector. So we got four stories dealing with four sinners. Peter, the leper, the paralyzed man, and now we have a tax collector. Tax collector in this day was a Jewish person who basically robbed fellow Jews. The Romans Romans would set the tax rate. Let's say the tax rate was 20%. The tax collector could say, well, I'm going to charge 25%. He'd give the Romans 20%, and he would keep five. Very wealthy, but a scoundrel. So Jesus goes out and sees a tax collector named Levi sitting at the the tax office. And he said to him, does he say, hey, don't do that anymore? No. Does he say, do this? No. Does he say, hey, what you've done disqualifies you? No. What does he say? I want to be with you. And here's the invitation. Follow me. Follow me. So leaving everything behind, he got up. And Matthew, he began to follow him. Now, Matthew teaches us the crux of the lesson for today. Matthew realizes what we've got to realize today. We walked in here, most of us have put limits on God because we doubt his ability or more likely we doubt his willingness. When we doubt his willingness, we don't pray like we should pray. We don't hope like we should hope. And we start living as if everything depends upon God because God can't really be trusted. Or we'll trust God when it gets really bad. But everything in between, we've got to handle it because God's not really that interested in my deal, my life, or my situation. But here's what the tax collector Matthew teaches us. Once we realize... Once we see God, truly see God, and Jesus shows us what God is like. Jesus shows us God has both the willingness and the ability. God has the power and the compassion. God has the the truth and the competence and the grace. Once we see God, any unwillingness is now on my side, not God's. And, And so we have to be willing to admit God, I now see you are willing. It's me that I am not willing to give you the steering wheel. I am not willing to leave everything and follow you. I am not willing to go on this journey to becoming the best version of myself. And it goes back to these things that have to be aligned. I can believe in my head Jesus is best, Jesus is gracious, and Jesus is compassionate. But if I love my fishing boat, my fishing business, if I I love my tradition, if I love my tax collecting, what you fill in the blank, if I love that more than Jesus, I will not look anything like Jesus. And I can go to church and say, hey, I believe in God. But what's going on in my heart and what's coming out of my hands is anything but belief in God. The Matthew. A sinful tax collector. I believe Jesus wants to be with me. I see in Jesus who I was made to be like. I am not made to be like a tax collector. I am not made to be a thief and a robber. I am not made to have money as my God. I am bigger than being rich in this world. So I will leave everything and I will follow him. And all three of these things align. All three. And then here's how the story ends. And this is, the whole, this is the whole crux of these four stories. So then Matthew, Levi, has a grand banquet for Jesus at his house. Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were guests. There's our word. With them. Jesus with scoundrels. Jesus with sinners. I, I, I tell you this story, Rockbridge. I, I, I think if we ever start having church and it's only, you know, quote, religious people and spiritual people, I don't think Jesus would come to our church. I think Jesus wants to deal with people, people. He wants to be with us that much and with you that much. But what do we have? Religious spirits. So the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples. What were they complaining about? Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why are you hanging out with them? One of the greatest compliments someone ever paid Rockbridge was this. They they came once or twice. They said, I won't go back there. And Somebody said, well, why won't you go back there? Well, they let anybody go to that church. I was like, thank you very much. Somehow you've missed Jesus. Because, you know, I, you know, mine, my, my, my story may not say tax collectors and sinner. Your yours may say greedy, greedy person, prideful person, mean person, harsh person, insecure person, feel, you know, fearful person. But Jesus wants to be with you. And Jesus replied to them, "It is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick." And now Jesus has given us in in, this, in Matthew four, Matthew five, part one, part two. Today, Jesus has given us the pattern. For our lives. Jesus has given you, this is what he wants to do in your life. He wants to be with you. He wants to do something for you. And most of what he wants to do for you is in you. And he wants to do something through you. That's the pattern. So you, you don't stop it with, you don't draw a limit at for or in, You push on to through. And all these things line up, right? I believe Jesus wants to be with me. I believe he wants to do something in me. And then I let him do something through me. When all those things align, then then, then it's beautiful. See, it's not just supposed to be about us. It's supposed to be about what God does through us. So another pattern, another way to look at this is Jesus brings us into relationship He he puts us in a discipleship relationship with Him where we're learning from Him and unlearning from Him. That's why we're all in Be Like Jesus groups. That's why we're all opening the Bible, the Word of God. That's why we're all praying, teach me, Jesus. I have to unlearn and learn. Peter had to unlearn. God's unwilling to be with sinners. No, no, God's very willing to be with sinners. We all have stuff to learn stuff to unlearn. That's discipleship. And then it's partnership as God uses us in this revolution of good overcoming evil. In this revolution of being blessed in order to be a blessing. let, let Let me start right here. Let me start right here for just a second. All of us have a sphere, a platform, right? we got a marriage or we got kids. We have a job. We have a neighborhood, right? I want you to think about this. The greatest thing my kids need is to see Jesus in me. The greatest thing my wife needs is to see Jesus in me. The greatest thing your job needs is for you to do that job the way Jesus would do that job. The greatest thing that my neighborhood needs, your neighborhood needs, and we can go on and on and on and on and on. And when you start to understand that, you realize the flow of Christianity. Jesus invites us to be with him. No limits because he is willing and he is able In that relationship of no limits, Jesus can start to touch us, cleanse us like the leper, heal us like the paralyzed man, doing something for us, which predominantly is inside our heart of hearts, so that then he can do something through us. And this can happen instantaneously. Like Matthew, the day he got saved, the day he decided to go and give everything to Jesus, what did he do? He started blessing other people. He said, I can at least invite them to my house and have Jesus over so Jesus can be with them the way he was, is with me. So he, so here's our question today. A couple, I'm going to give you a question, some encouragement, and a vision, okay? Here's the question. Am I following? Let me state it another way. Am I with him? That's really the question. It's not, do I believe something in my head? If it's not coming out of our hands, it's, we're not, it's not faith that amazes Jesus and releases his power. So am I following? Now, let me tell you what Matthew, and I want to be straight with you. Let me tell you what Matthew recognized, what Peter recognized. Following Jesus will cost me something. Being unwilling to follow him will cost me everything. You know, so we start thinking, man, Peter left everything. Matthew left Everything. Yeah, but what would what have happened if they didn't leave? What will happen if you hold on to whatever's keeping you from following Jesus? You ever thought about that? But what was going on in their hearts and what they saw through faith, He's the one. He's worth it. He's, he's, I, I wasn't created to be a tax collector. I wasn't created just to be a fisherman in the Sea of Galilee. I wasn't created to be unclean. I was created to be forgiven, to be free, and to live a full life by letting Jesus live his life through me. So Jesus' vision for us is this. Jesus will use me, not as I am, but as I am following him. He'll use me as I am, or use me, but not as I am, but as I am following him. Back to the first question, am I following? And I just want to give us one encouragement, okay? Just don't stop. Don't, don't stop at a perception. Peter could have stopped and said, Oh, Lord, you're unwilling to be with someone like me. The leper could have stopped and said, Jesus will never touch or have anything to do with someone like me. The, the paralyzed man's friends could have said, Oh, it's too crowded at the door. Maybe another time. Matthew could have said, oh, let, let me hold on to a little bit of my business because it's pretty good. Don't hold on. Don't stop. God's got this vision for you. Say yes to that. Take a step toward that. Follow Him. Because when He thinks of you, He thinks, I want to be with you. I want to be with you. Are you following? Let us pray. Hey God, I, I just want to invite you in all of our souls and minds, hearts, and hands today, just to let us... Continue to, to just embrace this vision that you've given us, God. And, and, and God, here, here's the question today. Are we following? Are, are, are we coming close? Are we following? God, for any person here today that today needs to be their day where they say yes to life in your son, life in you, I just pray right now they would just give, surrender, say yes Accept, switch, and be willing to follow. God, we walk in here today, and we're all living a story. And here's our question. Is my story one of following Jesus, one of following you? And for that, that means, God, for every one of us, we have a step. And I pray today, we step with you. Thank you, Jesus, for wanting to be with us. Thank you, Jesus, for paying the price to be with us, and God, we want to accept your invitation to follow you. We love you, Lord, and it's in your name, the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit we pray, amen.